What's up, guys? Welcome to the Humans of MarTech podcast. His name is John Taylor. My name is Phil Gamash. Our mission is to future-proof the humans behind the tech so you can have a successful and happy career in marketing. What's up, guys? I'm super excited to be introducing our guest today. Lauren Sandburn is a force of nature. She's a world-class marketing ops professional who's accomplished amazing things. Lauren is a graduate of Georgia Tech in business management. Before starting her illustrious career in tech, Lauren got her start at IBM in HR consulting and spent a year in retail at Home Depot. She then went on to spend seven years working for AirWatch, a mobile device management company, which would end up going through a billion-dollar acquisition by VMware. Lauren built an impressive background during her time there, starting in database and Salesforce management to sales and account management to analyst relations programs and finally marketing management. She now runs revenue operations at CallRail, one of the fastest growing startups in North America. Her team is a finalist in the OpStars Awards for go-to-market agility powered by operational excellence. Her ability to clearly see the technical and business impact of any given problem is one of her greatest qualities. She's an expert in digital transformation, MarTech, agile management, and so much more. Lauren, thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah, so John, I think uh, we chatted about the the coolest first question that we could ask Lauren, and uh, this was your idea. I'll let you. I'll let you take away with this question. Yeah, I always, we, we kind of tease uh, salespeople a little bit on here uh, we, based on like the idea that sales and marketing often are at loggerheads or fighting against each other. In your experience, in your career, like, maybe just provide us with a bit of description. What's the opposite of sales and marketing alignment from your point of view? Yeah, happy to. So from my point of view, it's when you see sales and they're pushing really hard to meet their number. Um, They're typically held to things that are farther down the funnel, like revenue, um, ARPU, the average revenue per unit, or the customer Mm -hmm. count. And then you see marketing, they're pushing really hard to hit their targets, which are things that are at the beginning of the funnel, right? Things like marketing qualified leads, or if we're in the world of acronyms, MQLs. Mm -hmm. But really, they're they're not working together. They're not talking to each other. And that's when things really kind of fall down because there's the question of like, well, what's converting? What isn't converting? And what is being worked? What isn't being worked? And if they're not in alignment, then you've got marketing dollars being spent potentially frivolously and then sales just kind of ignoring what they're getting fed upstream. It's such a it's such a common pain point I've seen in in my career where, you know, marketing gets their spears out and they're like, oh yeah, you didn't follow up on my leads and sales comes back and they're like, marketing, you're just working on fluff. Like, it, it's such a hard <laughs> it's such a hard thing to crack. What I asked this this question ahead of time too, but I want to dive into into this. It seems like a good time. What does marketing need to know about sales that they're missing well, today? You know, I think. It's, it kind of boils down to empathy, really. Like marketing needs to understand that sales is driven primarily off of what they're compensated on, right? And they're compensated on selling deals. And so their behavior is going to be whatever is the quickest thing that can get them something in their paycheck. Um, and that doesn't mean that they're lazy, but I think sometimes marketing has this perspective that the sales team is lazy. They only work the easy stuff. But then if you think about it from their perspective, they're going to do what's 
motivating them to actually like get another dollar bill in their pocket Mm -hmm. and sales is not an easy job. And if I were in their shoes, it'd be a lot of stress to know like, Hey, if I don't sell this many deals, like I don't have food on the table. So yeah. And we tease looking at it from that side. Yeah. And we tease salespeople all the time saying, Oh, you're coin operated and stuff like that. But I mean, that's, aren't we all coin operated? Aren't we in business to make revenue? So one of the, one of the points that we're, we're making in a future episode around life cycle, <clears throat> where we're talking a little bit about the value of deploying life cycle. I know, I know you and I have worked on life cycle before in a past life and uh, it, it's so valuable, but sales often pushes back on these big projects because they're like, you know, I don't have time to think about like this theoretical thing in my database. I'm making money for the business and they're kind of right, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I, and I think it's when you kind of put yourself in their shoes and you're giving examples that they can easily relate to, then you're able to create buy-in for those big pro- projects like the life cycle and things like that. And what about sales? What could they, what could they learn for, uh, about marketing? Sorry to, to interrupt. <laughs> so, I mean, I think it's looking at things from the same perspective. Like sales needs marketing to be successful Sometimes I think maybe they don't see that, but they certainly do. And so like not saying, Hey, you know, the marketing people are out of touch. Like what they're generating is not really helpful, but to see like the marketing team is up against a world where people are getting emailed in mass all the time. People are constantly being um, presented different advertisements. They're overloaded by content. And so you have these, demand marketers and product marketing marketers that are trying to figure out how do I create something unique? How do I get in front of the people that I want to get in front of? And so I think it's also when sales is like, Hey, we're doing this big initiative, kind of putting themselves in the shoes of marketing and seeing like, okay, well, how can this be a joint effort versus like something that is the two sides are fighting against each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's tricky, right? Like by default, marketing and sales are two separate departments in like most companies, right? And so at the top of the episode, when you were describing like what marketing and sales misalignment looks like for for the folks that were listening that were thinking like, oh shit, like that's that's pretty much me. Like the teams are separate. We have different metrics, like we're pushing for two different things. What, what are some of the ways that teams can remedy some of this stuff? So, and I've, I've seen this in my own experience um, with different roles that I've had. And I think it's really when these teams are working as one, like you said, they're two different groups, but meeting frequently and often and talking about, Hey, what is working? What isn't working? And allowing both sides to go down that path of like, hey, I'm really frustrated about this. So, hey, marketing, I'm really frustrated that you send me these webinar leads because they're not any good. And well, hey, sales, I'm really frustrated because I actually think that this set of leads is really good, but you never talk to them. You never actually like work with them. So by getting that conversation and that dialogue going, it might be a little sensitive at first, but building those relationships, I think is really, really helpful and beneficial, but then not just like the conversation, but also having like the underlying infrastructure in order to make sure that when leads are created upstream, they get to the right people and that there is like this cohesive 
um, alignment from like a conversation perspective, from a metrics perspective, and also from a infrastructure perspective. It's so interesting combining, you know, that human element, like, hey, let's talk about this stuff and just, you know, recognize that we're all under pressure to, to perform at our best. And then the, the part that I think you, you people like yourself and myself get really geeked out on is the tech side, right? Like, let's make these all the tech sing and work together. One of the questions I'm really interested to dive into is like this rise of revenue operations. It's, it's relative, I say it's still relatively new. Um, your director of revenue operations, I kind of, to me, tells me that you're straddling both sales and marketing from an ops perspective, but why is revenue operations so important? Why give it a separate name? And, and why do you think it's such a valuable uh, role at an organization? Well, so, you know, I'll totally agree with you that I do think it's fairly new um, in the marketplace and it's not recognized across all companies. Some companies are still focused on sales operations, marketing operations, like post sales operations. But I do think it's the direction that we're headed in. And I think it makes sense because I think what we're seeing is that having these functions be siloed is really not like very effective. Um, and the reason I think that is, it ties back to the customer. At the end of the day, all these companies want to have this wonderful customer experience. We talk about this utopia of this great experience for the customer, but operations plays a very significant role in what that really means because it's setting up that infrastructure to make sure that things are highly scalable and that data points are informing these marketing decisions and sales conversations and that there's visibility into what's happening after somebody becomes a customer so that if we have a support ticket where someone's really frustrated we don't the next day have someone in sales calling and trying to upsell that customer a new product when we should know that they're frustrated yeah, I think connecting the data dots is such a powerful component of the RevOps role, right? Like the mandate to to cross both marketing and sales and make sure everybody's got the systems in place as well as, you know, a common language. This is something you kind of touched on and maybe I'll just lead into that next question. Like, how do you see uh, getting sales and marketing to talk and speak a common language? What have you seen work? So what I've seen be most successful, and I've seen this kind of transform over about a 12 month, so about a year, a year and a half long period, is to set some baselines for like, what do we consider success? And then holding folks accountable to those metrics. Mm -hmm. And having like these open and frequent conversations about how are we doing and hitting these metrics, but then also saying, hey, if we're not hitting them, like if we're on track to miss our monthly goal, how could we pivot two weeks into the month to, to maybe get there when we think that we're not going to? Um, and I feel like at a lot of companies, you have a mixture of experience, right? You have people that have had years of trying to do these kinds of things. And then you have people that are straight out of school. They don't know what these metrics are. They don't even understand like what a metrics review is. So I think it's kind of coaching as well to get everybody on the same page because the metrics, like they start all the way from the doers that are just learning how to do their job. And so it takes time to get there. But I think once you've got everybody speaking the same language and being measured on metrics that are 
equivalent across the board, then you really are in good shape. One of the things you touched on, and I know from, from working you in our past, working with you in our past is just the, the level of compassion and empathy that you bring to the role. How does that play into that common language? Like the first thing I think of is you've got a crap month and you didn't hit all your metrics. You still got to report on that just as if you got a good month. <laughs> How do you foster that level of comfort in the team to build that alignment? You know, I think that is is certainly hard. And I think it takes really strong leadership from the management to to be open and to be vulnerable when you do miss. Like, for example, if we have to go to our board and say, hey, we did have a really bad month, to then take that feedback back to this team that is being held accountable and say, you know, this is what I shared with them. Like, these are the challenges that we're having. And these are our areas of, of opportunities for improvement of how we can get how we can get better. But these are mistakes that I've made as a leader that I've learned from. And like being able to kind of be open about that, to not act like the leadership doesn't make mistakes, because then that makes the team underneath afraid to like raise something when they know something is wrong but they don't want to because they don't want to show that there's like a weakness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so challenging to get over those hurdles. And it's, it, yeah, it's, it's interesting how you brought up the example of, you know, admitting your own mistakes, like showing you're fallible, showing you're human uh, in the workplace. It's, it's a good tactic. Like vulnerability in terms of a leadership skill set is, is pretty solid. Like you see the greatest leaders that say, well, you know, the board just tore a strip off of me and I'm wounded. Like I'm coming back to you to be like, help, please. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. And it's interesting because it all depends on like some people are raised to not show vulnerability. Um, But I think there's been a lot of I've had a lot of good experience in leadership training for them to kind of coach you into how it's okay to be like an appropriate level of vulnerable at work and it helps people relate to you. Um, So I think if if companies see that as a gap, like kind of investing in some training around it is is really beneficial. That makes a ton of sense. Uh, so we we talked we talked on like um, fostering different things in terms of teams and, and communication is a great piece of of being a leader in kind of a RevOps role. Um, so you've you've kind of been in different sizes of companies, right? Like going from IBM to VMware, now to CallRail, which is like a much smaller team compared to those bigger tech teams. Mm-hmm. How do you handle fostering communications in a RevOps role or kind of like diving into technical projects and servicing those insights up to like leaders that might not have the same technical knowledge that you do? Yeah, and I really have found that the most successful people in revenue operations, they're able to kind of move up and down the stack, right? So they're able to talk with their stakeholders, be like, okay, I see that there's a business problem. Then they're able to go all the way down into the technical build, the infrastructure, but then bring it back up and say, hey, this is a solution that I have for this problem but not having to, to kind of unveil all of that technical jargon that really is required in order to like solve the problem. It's a very interesting balance because you don't wanna act like, oh, this is super simple. I flip a switch and like it all works and it's just magical, right? But also you can't get so technical that you lose your audience and they're like, oh my gosh, I completely don't understand what you're saying. So I think, creating that dialogue and for example something recently that we've been um that i've been working on is a very big implementation 
and communicating different things to different audiences based on what their role is and what they do. So having like an executive level update that goes out once a month, but then having a business level update that goes out every two weeks after that. And people will say, well, hey, why are you sending this? Like it's too much information. But I think over communicating is far better than just not saying anything because it usually takes about two to three times like of you reiterating something for everyone to really understand it. So love it. I love I love how how you paint this picture of communication of bridging the gap between the technical and the business problems because they're all, like there's always those conflicts, right? Like you're deep in the dive Salesforce development team, they want to talk about code and you know, mm-hmm. your your chief revenue officer or chief marketing officer, they want to talk about revenue numbers. Like somewhere in the middle is is Lauren project managing and making sure that everything gets done. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so at the intersection of sales and marketing, we've talked a lot about metrics and alignment and communication, but ultimately, you know, we're all accountable for some metric in the sales and marketing team. What is, what do you see as the, the, the way to align around metrics there? Um, I think the sweet spot is actually sales accepted leads. Mm-hmm. So it's, inter- it's interesting because I found that a lot of times marketing's metric is a little bit above sales accepted leads. And typically the sales metric is a little bit further down than sales accepted leads. And I do think it makes sense for each team to monitor both of those. Mm-hmm. But I think to understand if that, if there is cohesion and things are working across those two teams to really look at how many leads did we push into the funnel and marketing was like, these ones are good. And then sales said, ah, you know what? I completely agree. I'm going to work them and I'm going to accept them into my pipeline. Like to me, that is as kind of the, the magic that's happening across the two. Otherwise, if you stay too high up, you're kind of mm-hmm. only thinking about what got worked, but did anything happen with it? And then if you go too far down, it's kind of hard for marketing to know, but did my actions actually affect this sale? Yeah, I think that's that's such an insightful answer. Uh, I love it because it kind of just has this whole theme that we've talked about of communication, right? Marketing can engineer, hey, an MQL is whatever I want it to be. I could invent right. some new criteria. Um, so I like the fact that like both teams have something at stake around that. Yeah, this the salesperson has to like go out of their way to to accept, right? Like they need to change it in right. the automation tool or whatever. So there's like an ask on their part. And if there's like a split one day or one week where there's like too many rejections uh, of, of leads that marketing said is ready for sales and it's not the case, mm-hmm. it opens up the opportunity to have that dialogue, right? Like, okay, this week, like we got like a 60% rejection on leads that we sent you. Like what, what what's going on? What was wrong with those leads? What didn't you like that? That you saw exactly and that's the kind of dialogue you want to foster what why not revenue why not use revenue as the common the common focus for both teams i mean i think both teams definitely have to look at revenue they can't disregard it on either end but i do feel like um especially for marketing if you're only looking at revenue it's so far down into the funnel that it's hard for them to tie that back to their tactics now one thing that we or I've certainly experienced is things like marketing attribution platforms mm-hmm. that help you take your revenue and kind of break it up into those pieces of um, 
the marketing spend and seeing how that all ties together. I think there are ways to stitch them better together than they are probably in most traditional businesses. But I don't think you can just focus on the bottom of the funnel because you're going to lose sight of what's happening at the top. Yeah. And marketing has got to generate brand awareness and leads. And those things are really hard to measure uh, when you're talking to sales and sales has got to generate opportunities and and progress deals across the the pipeline as well. So yeah, I I thought that was, that's just such a good answer. I'm, I'm, I think it's awesome. (laughs) You know, I think that when you're trying to get the alignment across the sales and the marketing organization, I think there's this thought that, okay, let's have a meeting. Let's have sales and marketing talk to each other. And the next day, everything is going to be like moving in the right direction. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like instant gratification, right? We all have this sense of like, we need instant gratification. And I really believe to get like two separate entities to work together, to be able to understand what their metrics are, to understand like, hey, if I do this over here, it's going to affect this group over here. I think that time frame is about 12 months long. Mm-hmm. And that, I think when, we, when you come to the forefront and you say, it's going to take us about 12 months to get there, it's like a deer in headlights. Like yep. no one wants that answer. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I really think the evolution, I think, does take time. But I think the point is if you have um, milestones in between, like saying like, okay, my utopia 12 months from now is this, but in three months, I expect us to be here. And then in three months, four, three more months, I want us to be here. Then mm-hmm. you know, it's not so like daunting and it's, it's holding people accountable at the end of the day. Right. Mm-hmm. So in three months, I need to make sure my infrastructure can report on MQLs. Three months from there, I expect that marketing and sales will both understand what the MQLs are and be able to make adjustments to the lead scoring model on a regular basis. Yeah. You know, things like that. Yeah, it's a, it's a long timeline for sure. There's like the human element and then like the tech elements, like implementing everything, but then like working with the sales team and making sure that like, um, like the tactics that we're going to put in place in the tech, like the strategy behind the scene, like makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to touch on a little bit about um, structure, like internal structure, kind of along the lines of uh, your last answer. And I'm curious to get your take on this. Like, a lot of folks will have a marketing ops team directly under the marketing function, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, the marketing ops leader is reporting into the CMO and then the sales ops team is reporting into the chief revenue officer. Mm-hmm. And so you maybe have this like um, tiger team in the middle that is called revenue ops and they're kind of on loan, like loaning sales ops and marketing ops. But those two separate teams are still reporting into their department versus like the newish kind of way of looking at it, which is like RevOps and marketing ops sits directly under there. Like what, what's your take uh, to structure that internally? So my take for sure, and I have seen it in all the different ways that it could be, right? It could be sales under sales, marketing under marketing. I've even seen sales operations under product. Like I've, I've seen a lot of different models. Mm-hmm. And to me, I think that structurally changing that and because, because like, for example, if you have marketing operations under marketing, when I take it down to like the tech level, I have a marketing automation platform, right? Mm -hmm. 
And then I have sales operations under sales, but that at the tech platform level is a CRM, right? And so the marketing automation platform, as soon as it does anything, like within 20, 20 minutes, right? It's affecting what's happening over in this sales platform. Yeah. And yet I'm like, when I go all the way up the business, I'm like in two different areas. Mm-hmm. It's so disconnected. So, I mean, my recommendation would be to take those, those different headcount that are in each one of those groups, move them out of the silo teams and bring them together. But I know that that is like a lot easier said than done. It depends on how big the company is. It depends on how they're structured, whether it's a matrix, you know, all these different things. But I have seen it like where it's separated and when it's together. And to me, now that I have seen the team where sales operations, marketing operations, really even customer success operations, if they can all roll up under the same person, that's like, that is the utopia model. Mm-hmm. The challenge is like being able to do that. And in some organizations, it's just not, it's just not realistic. So. Yeah. In some organizations, there's no one with the title of RevOps yet, right? right? Like in, in that size. So, um, okay. I want to take this down like a, a notch in, in like size of company. Let's say that um, we're talking to listeners on the podcast that are working in startup companies. So mm-hmm. like they're wearing multiple hats, including the marketing ops hat, and maybe they're playing like a sales ops hat as, as well. So, so the folks that are listening to you, to your interview right now and talking about like RevOps and being closer to revenue, like, and, and maybe they want to be like a RevOps director at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, what advice do you have to folks that are like, they want to be in your position in like 10, 15 years. Um, and like, maybe they're working in like startup marketing right now. What, what tips do you have to, to get them into RevOps in the future? I mean, my tips are to be like really curious about the strategy that marketing and sales are having. And then taking that and seeing like, how can I solve a business problem with technology? Like if they start to take the mindset of how can I use my critical thinking skills to solve this problem and automate it and make it scalable, then they're thinking like an operations leader. Um, And for me personally, like that's really like fun and exciting. And if that excites them, then they're kind of knowing like, hey, this is something that I want to do because it really is the intersection of taking technology, taking data, like living in a world of spreadsheets some days. Mm -hmm. And how do I make that magical? Like how do I automate that so that it happens by itself without someone having to touch it and intervene? Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, that's kind of what I would say to somebody. And and if they are interested and it's something that they do like, then to go out there and start getting some certi- certificates and stuff like that, because that's where you're actually going to get some real um, more like on the job experience sort of at like the entry level. And they don't cost very much. A lot of times these certificates are pretty inexpensive and they're available um, from a lot of different platform vendors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great advice. I love I love the being curiosity led using technology to solve problems. And operations is just such a cool aspect of sales and marketing. Certainly a lot of marketers end up in end up in the off space. I know Phil and I are both dabble in it, Phil more than I these days. <laughs> um, 
I wanted to 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 ask a little bit about this nirvana state or utopia state, as you put it. Um, I'm going to take a leap of faith here and say that that you've got a little bit of that going on over at CallRail. And just for instance, like one of the things that popped up on my LinkedIn was that CallRail is a finalist for the OpStars Awards for go-to-market agility powered by operational excellence. If you don't got Nirvana there, like you've got something really good going. So first of all, congrats <laughs> for being a finalist. Like this is super prestigious in, in the op space to, to be there. Thank but, you. but how how do you think you got yourself into this position? You know, two years into your role at CallRail, you're you're in position to win some really awesome awards. Thank you. You know, I I think that we really put ourselves out there, like coming into the to the role, I, I kind of knew that there were a lot of things that needed to be improved, right? Like I knew that the infrastructure wasn't in place to really be successful in an operations role. Um, I knew there was a kind of perspective that, you know, maybe, maybe you don't really need operations. Like maybe things can just be manual and that'll be okay. And, you know, I really wanted to come in and challenge that and say, sure, you can do things manually. Um, and sure it might work, but if you really want this engine that's going to grow and the business is going to be really scalable and able to focus on like the value added processes and things like that, then we have to get out of like doing manual and granted, there's always going to be the right mixture of automation. Like mm-hmm. you don't want to automate to the point where you make things so complicated that nobody can, can really like figure out how to do anything. But I think taking a, a step back, we've we've evolved so much in the past two years. And sometimes I live in like the current moment where I'm like, oh man, this is broken and oh, this is broken. And I'm like, ah. But then if I look back on the past two years, it's like, wow, like we couldn't even do 5% of what we're doing today, two years ago. And we've really come a long way. And kind of having that gratitude and appreciation for that journey. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really exciting. These things take time, right? And you touched on this earlier, like especially in SaaS startup land where where all three of us reside right now. Like, time is like everyone's like, you know, we're exiting tomorrow, we're gonna die tomorrow. It's but at the end of the day, these companies all have been around for a while. They're gonna be around for a little bit longer for sure. So building building a maturity map and following on that 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 leads you to success. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's super cool. I love the the perspective on it. Like, it's so hard to get like dragged down in your day to day because, like, in an ops role, like, oftentimes you're putting out fires. Like, when people are reaching out, it's because there's something broken. Like, yeah. there's something wrong. Or like, <laughs> how do I do this? How do I do that? And it's like really hard to get like uh, taking a step back and look at like the, the good changes that you've done and and like the fact that folks are reaching out with questions and stuff like that. Like, it's it's a positive thing. And the fact that things like like are, are breaking in the future like it's it's all part of like scaling everything and, and and adapting to like all all the changes that are happening so i like that that perspective of like um you know the day-to-day can be tough but look back at like all the stuff that has happened mm-hmm. uh, i think that plays a big role in being happier in your job and i think that's that's kind of a good segue into our our last question john um if you want to take that away Oh, yeah. Well, you know, our mission on this podcast is to help people be successful and happy. Lauren, I think you've outlined uh, so many different ways for people to be successful in their career, but you've been smiling this whole podcast. Uh, You look extremely happy in your position. How do you be happy in your job? How do you be happy in your career? 
You know, so I think there's a couple different components, but I think just generally in life, I think happiness is all about your perspective. You know, it's 25% of your actual situation and then just 75% of how you look at it, right? Like some people live in conditions that are quite difficult, but they still are happy every day. Um, and if you don't really like the job that you're in, then get as much experience as you can and then change it. Get a different one. There's no reason that you have to stay. And if you don't like the career that you're in, then get as much experience that you think will be helpful for what you want to do. And then use your network to do something else, pivot to something else. I mean, mm-hmm. for me, I when I was like in high school and stuff, I didn't really know what I wanted to be. I was super young and I was like, well, I like technology. I like business. So I'm, I'm going to go to college and I'm going to go, I'll go to Georgia tech. I didn't think I would actually get into Georgia tech, but I did. Um, and then, you know, I, I knew like, I like fancy things. I knew that about myself. I like nice stuff. So I was like, well, I better get a job that can afford a certain lifestyle because otherwise that will make me unhappy because that's just my personality, you know? And then I knew that I really liked being challenged. I get bored fairly easy. So for me, I was like, Hey, I'm going to try all kinds of things and I'm just going to figure out what I think makes me happy. So that was kind of one big thing for me. And then I think too, for a lot of people, you know, as children, they're expected, like, you know, you know, you have to know what you want to do. Like when you're four years old, if you want to be a doctor, then you better start getting on that path or otherwise you you won't be a doctor. And I think that's kind of putting a lot of pressure on yourself. Um, I mean, I do think you need to start off right and to like go down the right path to an extent, but you can kind of start to figure out like, Hey, what do I not like? Like what makes me unhappy? And then that kind of steers you to, well, what will make me happy? Um, I found that I really love revenue operations. You know, I solve a different business problem every single day and I get to use technology to do it. Um, and I'm helping like my stakeholders be more successful. And I think I've realized in my personality that I like helping people. So like, I'm in tech, it's a hot space, it has good job security, like I found like what I like to do. Yeah. But it's taken time to get there. You know, it's taken me doing different things and have being curious about trying new things and not being scared if there was an opportunity presented to me that I knew I didn't really know how to do, but just like give it a try. So, you know, I think that I'm really fortunate. I can work from anywhere. I have good health insurance, you know, I can support my family and all those things make me happy. But like I said, I think it's about your outlook. Like if you look at things in a positive light, you'd probably be more happy than if you don't. Yeah, so, so much wisdom in there. I'm surprised Lauren in high school wasn't thinking you wanted to be a director of revenue operations. <laughs> <laughs> I'm upstairs conditioning my children. Hey, do you want to be a director of uh, revenue operations? They're, they're all about that, that CM. But hey. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love I love the perspective. I love the journey that you kind of gave us some insight into. There's so much wisdom in this talk for the for our listeners. So I'll end it there, Lauren. I I really appreciate you taking the time. This is just such a cool uh, conversation, and I uh, really appreciate you sharing your wisdom today. Thank you for having me. It's been great. I appreciate you guys. Yeah.